This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless Me. I have not been on the mic for Restless for a few weeks because I have been preparing for my ordination exams. And most of those are in the past for me, which is good news. Um, and this is Restless, the postmortem on the young, restless, and reformed. I am your host, Matt. This show is worth what you pay for it which is a great reminder to sign up for the Patreon so it'll be worth more to you. So you can go to the Patreon and find all kinds of bonus content. You are all waiting for me to bring Pastor Michael Bowman on in in his chair, in the mic across from me. And tonight, we cannot do it. But I'll explain why in a minute. But we are joined by a friend of the show. How many times have you been on now, Elijah Hoyer? Is this? Uh, I've I've been on just once, I believe. Just so, one time. So well, this I, is. I'm now. This is now my second time, and you know, I think well, I can be a, a co-host officially now, right? Yeah. Yes, you can. Yeah. Welcome <laughs> back to Restless, Elijah. Thank Since you. Since it's only been two times, and not everyone's in our Patreon channel, why don't you tell tell the wonderful people a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I'm Elijah. Um, I am currently living in South Carolina um, and I moved out here uh, particularly because now I'm working at a church as a youth director. I moved to the Carolinas originally because I wanted to go to seminary. So I'm, I'm currently going to Reform Theological Seminary, getting my Master's of Divinity um, and I commute up there twice a week and throughout the rest of the week I'm working full-time as a youth director, staying rather busy um, and then Shameless plug. I'm also a host, a co-host of a podcast called Simper Doctrina. Uh, we, we discuss some really good theology. I know y'all claim that you're the best reformed podcast, but you know, well, I'll argue with that with you on that. You, a little you're bit. allowed to argue with us. We, <laughs> we, we podcast a niche into a niche uh, and we just do it so well. All kinds of people like to listen to us, but they really do cover um yeah, interesting stuff. They did a show. Uh, they have a they have an ongoing uh, show where they react to TikToks, and I have asked to come on with them. So it's good enough that I want to get on there and do it with All them. Right. So anything else you guys have uh, talked about recently that just might be interesting for people that would bring them over? Yeah. So we uh, over like leading up to Christmas, we went through Athanasius on the incarnation and just kind of broke it down chapter by chapter, um, talking about all the points that that he brought up. Um, so we we do love the historic church and, and looking at church fathers and what they have to say about theology. Um, and then also coming at that from the reform perspective, saying, you know, they they came at it from a perspective. Um, not going to say that they were wrong in everything that they said, but are, are there some areas that we may say, let's nuance that a little bit. Um, some of that's just because the language is so unfamiliar to us in the 21st mm. century. So sometimes it's not necessarily disagreements, but it's more, what are they saying? And how do we understand this? So yeah. that's, that's probably one of my favorite series that we've done. That's good stuff. It does sound like though, if you like pastor Michael, like to choose nuance when it is available to you, you may, you may enjoy that. Um, a story for another time, as I've been recently learning, and Elijah may know more about this than I do, that uh, Athanasius, uh, uh, obviously famously, right, was against the world, but he was actually quite bad at making friends uh, in his lifetime. Uh, and um, he probably had a bit of a Luther-like personality in that way. Um, but oh, yeah, are... I mean, he, uh, well, 
obviously he should have denied Arius that's the right. Lord's Supper. But when it wasn't Constantine, it was his son that was like, hey, readmit him. And he was like, no, he's a heretic and you're a heretic too. Right. And, yeah. And then and then in his genius branding after Arius had died, he he basically realized he could brand all of his opponents as Arians. Like even when after Arius died, they went, OK, we don't believe that. And there was a ton of debate over what happened. But anyways, that is not what we're here to talk yeah. about today. <laughs> that is what you go to Elijah's show for. And so please go check them out. I will put a link in the show notes. Please go find them. Um, and but we are here. It's good to have Elijah here because we have to do one more episode of Winsome Winter. And everyone's like, it is April. You shouldn't be doing this. This isn't a good shtick anymore. And to all the people who say that, um, Saturday it snowed five inches at my house and it hailed today. And so I am hoping Winsome Winter is over too, but it's not over yet. And so Pastor Michael did have somewhere else he had to be, but also. Because we are going to be winsome tonight. I don't know if he would have been able to remain winsome. Because tonight we will be discussing the Christian phenomenon, The Chosen, the streaming TV show. Um, And Pastor Michael, a while ago when we discussed doing this, said he was with a group of people, said, "Uh, if we watch 10 seconds of this, I could probably find something awful in it and want to turn (laughs) it off. And he claimed he did so. So um, he, it seems, would have been un unlikely candidate to be able to very maintain a winsome uh perspective on this so before we get going i think everyone here knows uh what the chosen is right this is the famous tv show in its third season on vid angel well now it's on a bunch of streaming services um it's they've played episodes in theaters but right this is the this is the tv show about jesus that you are watching or all people you know are posting about so Elijah, before we get into this, uh, why don't we both just talk about if we if we have experience with the chosen? Uh, what what is your experience if you have any with so the I, chosen? I've maybe watched two episodes. Um, let's see, it's it came out in 2019, right? I think that's when it, the first season. Yeah, yeah. So the, I would I would have still been in my undergrad, slowly becoming more and more reformed. Not thanks to the school, just thanks to others around me. Mm. Um, so I, I know that I think my mom started watching it and she's like, you should really check this out. It's like, okay. And then I found out it was vid angel. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's owned by Mormons. So I kind of mm. watched it with a little bit of skepticism, fell asleep. I think both for both of the episodes I started watching. Um, and then, uh, just naturally as evangelicals buy into things, I, I'm a little bit skeptical of, of mm. it. So I would say that's most of my exposure um, or m- more initially my thoughts, but I have, I, I've learned a little bit more over time. So you have seen some of it though. Yes. Uh, I believe, I believe it was the episode where Mary Magdalene was like became a follower of Christ. I, I cannot recall though. So, mm-hmm. well, I am glad you have seen some of it as far as you can recall. Pastor Michael has seen 10 seconds of it, and I am a big fat, have not watched a single second of it. And we will we will come back around to why that might be the case. Now, of course, I, like everyone, uh, know many people uh, who have watched it, and it's been recommended to me many times. Um, if you are a person who's 
recommended to me and are listening to this, I mean no ill will that I have not taken you up on that recommendation. I get recommended a lot of things that I uh, don't go go with. I know churches that have used it as even pretty good churches that have used it as like Sunday school material. Um, you know, they'll watch part of it and discuss uh, things. I mean, this, this I can real- almost guarantee there is going there's going to be a handful of churches this weekend that will use clips from the oh, chosen. this weekend yeah so that is almost that is certainly a guarantee so the chosen is i mean it is a huge deal it is um this last uh february they um put the final finale two episodes of season three um into theaters even and it was number one at the box office it made more than 1.6 million dollars that weekend this is the it was the the how they got this onto VidAngel, and I think VidAngel still does this, right? They ask people to crowdfund the ideas that people like, and this is the TV show that's received the most crowdfunding of any TV show of all time, right? They say there are they've had more than a hundred million viewers. There are now groups, as we may talk about, um, as when met a lot of Christian media comes out, there are Christian translators. Who work on the bible but they also do lots of other things and so now they're working on translation of the chosen uh and the goal is to get it into 600 languages wow that's worldwide yeah um so i mean this is this is huge this is this is everywhere um the director uh showrunner uh dallas jenkins um right he said kind of we kind of have two things he said he wanted to produce a jesus who you could binge watch Right. So the goal is in the end to make seven seasons of this show. Um, And he said the 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 method they're going to use in the show um, is it's going to be kind of it's supposed to be like people's personal experiences, personal encounters with Jesus. So uh, he gets us. That's right. He gets (laughs) us, which which uh, seems like we spent a billion dollars and is gone, man. That seems like that was a real. uh, they got to the Super Bowl and it's gone. Um, I haven't seen any more ads. So no, I, they blew the money, I think. Huh? Yep. They're not making money, unlike the chosen. Um, and I think that, right, what we would describe it as um, using actual entertainment terms would be they're trying to make it very character driven. Mm-hmm. Right. So lots of like. So when you say there was an episode featuring Mary Magdalene and her conversion, right, like um you know, as I've looked into this, I know there's a number of episodes featuring relationship and marriage drama and romance between Peter and his wife. Right. So, they, you know, they really these are the kinds of things they're interested in. Um, and so. It's a huge deal. And so mm-hmm. even even our friends at TGC, when it first came out, uh, they had their culture guy, their brilliant culture guy, Brett McCracken, write for reason why chosen works. So, I mean, he basically believed this was, um, and I'll link it in the show notes. I mean, it's not, again, the article isn't that interesting other than him saying that this really works on a dramatic level. People are going to be engaged. This is going to help people um, be um, really engaged in this. Now, um, the showrunner is Dallas Jenkins. And this is just interesting um, for those of us uh who kind of grew up in the 90s do you know do you know why i think elijah dallas jenkins name is significant at all 
it is 100% because of his dad. Oh, it is 100% uh, because, because his, of his dad, dad was the writer of, uh, of the Left Behind series, right? That is correct. Yeah. His dad, Jerry B. Jenkins, uh, was one of the two authors of the Left Behind series, which basically means for my entire lifetime now, the Jenkins family have ran Christian media. What is the entertainment? It's, it's been a household name. <laughs> yep. The Jenkins family first. Oh, they man. wrote, they sold millions of books, which you can go find in a Goodwill near you if you are still interested in reading one of those books. And now his son has taken over the streaming medium uh, as kind of the streaming king. And so that is just, it, I just, I don't think, I'm not saying that's at all significant in the production of the show. But it's wild to me that the the Jenkins continue to go strong. Uh, so again, there's a lot of there's a lot of things we're going to talk about, and the uh, I'm going to explain um, by the end, hopefully, just a little bit about why, because I'm being winsome, why I have not watched a single second of this show. Now, um, there have been a lot of complaints that have kind of gone around i don't know elijah what has i don't know have you talked to people about this have you complained yourself what do you think about this overall yeah uh so most of the people that i have talked to are pretty much on board with it okay um, great well and, then I'm, again and, i'm glad we're talking to you because yeah. pastor michael and i in our little bunkers we don't hear this this perspective i want to hear the the on board perspective well okay admittedly uh i hope these people don't don't listen like <laughs> i not that i've unfriended them on facebook but i've like unfollowed sure their posts that way i'm because like every single post is about the chosen and about how they crowdfunded it and they went out and they drove and were part of the set and like like they're all in um yeah wow but yeah so a lot of the a lot of the buy-in and like you know they've They've gotten critical of the people who have been critical of the show, uh, which is it's that's always interesting to watch. Um, but a lot of it is just kind of what you were saying of uh, people really loved how uh, relatable they made Jesus. They loved the character character development aspect of it. Um, you know, I, I, again, I've only watched two episodes and it was I think it was in 2019 when I watched those two episodes. But if I remember correctly, the production was was pretty good production mm. um so yeah that that's been kind of the thought behind it and they're like i'm thinking about jesus more and uh one of the things i rarely hear though is it's pointing me towards scripture more mm. which is going to be one of my critiques of it but sure yeah it, it's just a lot of people saying like it's made me think of jesus humanity a lot more which you know if, if we're being honest we probably don't think about jesus two natures as as much as we should have and and the impact that that should have on us um but is it really portraying his humanity properly that that mm. that will be a question that that we'll have to ask yeah let me give you one uh as i was reading some episode by episode reviews um one one person said and i actually think this was kind of a great idea like again i think they probably have it sounds like they have pretty smart writers like it sounds like they are um um they are doing what they want to do well um so one thing they did for example is um they like because of obviously they're trying to help people understand who have no interest 
perhaps in the biblical text and biblical history. Like, why would Jesus argue about Sabbath laws the way he did? And so they apparently in an early episode go kind of at length to describe and discuss and be involved, like, and have you witness like what the Jewish Sabbath would have been like and would have been kept like and all the like very good things and perhaps, you know, the abuses Jesus is correcting. And I'm like, that actually, I'm like, that is a, that is a kind of a interesting way to help people gain context, mm. you know, as they read the scripture. Right. Yeah. Um, and so now again, I'm, um, it, I, I probably am not going to have a ton more compliments beyond this. So there isn't a long list. Um, but I do want to point out that I think that there, there is something there. I get why the medium is attractive. And there are certainly things like that that could be done. There um, is something just showing the historical contextual aspect of of first century Judaism. Um, yeah. I mean, if if you again, I, I'm, I'm a youth director, so I'm interacting with students all the time. And uh, the Old Testament is almost out of the picture for, for a lot of them because that, that just seems so out of reach. So like a different time period that, mm. that it, they almost feel like they can't learn from it. And they even feel some that sometimes that with the Jesus narrative, like the gospel narratives um, and to have something to kind of make it a little bit more attainable to see the cultural settings of like, you know, why, why are the Samaritans hated? You know, that that's, that's a conversation I had with a student this last week of why, mm. why was it such a big deal that Jesus sat down at the well with the Samaritan woman mm. and I was able to walk through that. So, so there, that is, I could say that is a good thing that can come from this as providing proper historical context. Yeah. I think that even, um, let me use a, a different example. Um, I have been recently reading, um, to my kids from Catherine Voss's, um, children's I think it's called the children's story Bible. Um, and she just writes like she just explains narratives from the scriptures and she does it. She's uh, it's interestingly from the Voss family trust, right? So we have, there are great theologians in the Voss family trust, but her book is the best selling book in the Voss family trust. Uh, I bought that book for my mom. Yeah. Uh, because they, my parents do foster care and my mom said she's been reading through that and she's like, oh, I'm learning so much in-depth theology through this. Yeah, she's and but what the thing she does is she tells all the biblical stories in a really engaging way. Mm -hmm. And and what it makes me realize is the the sadness of making like the the texture of the world they lived in and these stories um, engaging. Right. Like tonight I read, you know to my son and we were reading about when Peter chopped off the ear of the high priest servant when they came to arrest Jesus. And he was just like, what? Like he, you know, he's three. He's just like swords, like things like, <laughs> just like there's so much drama and life in these mm -hmm. stories. And there's so much um, texture with what it would have been like to be on the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. Right. What, what, where did this engagement and this hatred of the Samaritans come from? Right. There's a lot. And it makes it again. It You can help by telling these stories in an engaging way. You can make the Bible come alive. And that is mm -hmm. what we are supposed to do in teaching. Um, I don't think we necessarily need the visual medium to do that. But I think that there are ways 
there are, we live in a very visual time, a very visual culture. It, it, I think there it makes sense there would be a desire to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, you said that um, despite this being about Jesus, um, you said you don't find it pointing people back to the biblical text. Tell me what you meant by that. Yeah, I. Okay, I'm going to change that statement a little bit. Sure. There's a sense in which it points them back to the biblical text. If they do go back to the biblical text, what I see more often than not is they're approaching the biblical text with now a different presupposition of Mm. what the chosen puts forth. So instead of reading the text for what the text is, and, you know, we have to understand we all come to scripture with our own presuppositions. So I'm not saying that we're, we're operating in a vacuum, but now there's this new presupposition that's coming up of, oh, Jesus struggled with the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to read the Sermon on the Mount with that in mind, or, mm. or uh, you know, there's character development with Matthew that we'll talk about, and they're going to take that and place that in the scriptures. And it's like, I know Dallas Jenkins thought is like, we want them to be turning to scripture. Hmm. And he's like, this isn't going to be 100% historically accurate uh, uh tv show like he said that multiple times right i'm like do you not understand that there's danger in doing that Mm -hmm. yeah i i think that's certainly um the case right so it is very interesting this gets us to the approach on how they've they've said they've developed the show so um uh so we'll get to the you know we'll we'll get to the two kind of the more broad criticisms and then we'll we'll come down to and those actually aren't the reasons i haven't watched it um but I do think it's interesting, right? With all of the production value they have, all the money they've had, right? They have acting consultants. They have consultants on set basically at all times. They have a messianic rabbi, a Catholic priest, um, and uh, one of the professors from Biola University, right? That are supposed to be like giving them feedback. Like how good is, how how are we doing? Um, and I do think it's interesting and we will, we'll, when we we think about it because dallas jenkins has said we want to do we don't want to do anything that would disagree with one of the gospel accounts about jesus however there are many many things the gospel accounts don't tell us right they don't you know if you think about the gospels they're quite strange biographies of a person they don't talk about their his family very much they talk about basically three years of his life and they also basically talk about one week right of his life mm-hmm. for the very the majority of it right so these aren't structured and, and they uh, emphasize very specific doctrines exactly they they have this they have um and these are the kinds of things of course that um liberal scholars have criticized that these don't look like um these don't even look like ancient biographies right there's no there's no who trained him what he, like oh it, we lack lots of details we lack lots of details about the disciples And so Dallas Jenkins said they believed it was legitimate to take creative license in ways that wouldn't be doctrinally problematic in their mind or right and would be plausible extrapolations into um, the characters. Right. Um, And so that's that's what they've that like when he gets criticized, he's kind of said, as you have said, this isn't like a historical show. Right. Um, and what's interesting, I just think one thing that's interesting about it is we have, you know, from what is it? 
50 years ago now when um, Bill Bright funded the Jesus film, right? Famous film, been translated a lot like this. One of the, they've used Hollywood actors, right? One of the first times they did this. But they essentially only had Jesus speak direct quotes from the Gospel of Luke. Hmm. Um, And so it's just interesting to see that over this time, we've become more and more comfortable with putting our own words in Jesus into the gospels. Right. Um, and, and that doesn't, um, and I think that it, it, it certainly should cause us to, to wonder, I think for the exact reason Elijah's talking about, because of how it might affect how we read, how we read the scripture. So I think this is right. One of the questions, one of the criticisms that comes up every time is, uh, and Elijah hinted at this, right? VidAngel is owned, it's in Utah, it's in Salt Lake City, and it is owned by Mormons. And so there has been a ton of questioning on if Mormon doctrine uh, has influenced the show. Now, Dallas Jenkins is evidently, like his father was, an evangelical Christian. Um, you notice none of the like historical consultants they have are from... Um, What's that? What's the Mormon University? Um, BYU. BYU. Um, they're um, they're all they're all some form. Obviously, there's a Roman Catholic, um, but right, they're trying to make this basically ecumenical, like a totally ecumenical show. Um, however, as time has went on, um, there have been questions on if some of the scripts contain things that are related to Mormons. So. Jesus in one of the episodes of the chosen says, I am the law of Moses. Now, uh, they are, um, you know, Dallas Jenkins has said he's never read the book of Mormon, um, but he wants Jesus. He wanted him to say something theologically plausible to kind of refute the, the Pharisees ideas that they could hold the law above him. And so he, he had him say, I am the law of Moses. Now, the problem and the reason people are pretty intensely critical of this moment is there is a verse in the Book of Mormon that says, behold, uh, where Jesus is said to have said, behold, I am the law and the light. Look at me and endure to the end and ye shall live for him that endureth to the end. I will give eternal life. So it does seem um, there does seem to be at least uh, a lot of overlap. Um there are, you know, there's, and there have been a few, there have been a few moments like this that um, my wife has informed me of from the Reformed Mom blog she's in, where they're warning that these are, uh, there is some infusion of Mormon doctrine. Um, but I, but I think this idea that um, what, what you are kind of getting at, Elijah, is that um, any addition to the scriptural account of who Jesus is even if they say we're trying to be neutral, it's just trying to be, it's just creative license. They have to be theologically informed, don't they? Yeah. Well, I mean, simply the fact that he used I am, which if you've done any study on Greek, it's ego a me, which is, I mean, that pulls straight from the LXX, which is what God says his name is. It's it's right. a holy covenant name of God. Um, so the fact that they 
he made that theological statement using an I am type statement. When Jesus didn't say, I am the law of Moses, he said, I did not come abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law, mm. um, the law and the prophets. Uh, yeah, I find, I find that troublesome that right. he took that creative liberty. Um, and I would say that is a very theologically charged um, statement that while I know he feels comfortable making that jump, we should not be comfortable putting words right. in the mouth of Jesus. Yeah, because because as you're saying, will this redefine for some people Jesus's relationship to the law of Moses specifically, right? Um, whether it's re- directly related to the Mormon teaching or not, you know, it's a it it turns out to be a handy, profitable thing that it uh, makes Mormons feel better about mm-hmm. the whole TV show uh, for for Dallas. Um, who's not hurting for money given his dad's book sales. But I think that, but every decision, because every decision to depict Jesus is announcing who he is. Whenever I, any detail I describe about Jesus is theological because I'm describing the God man. I can't do that. There's no way to do that in, in a vacuum. Right. And and the apostles over and over warn about false Christs and false messiahs, right? There were people who described Jesus and talked about him, but they did not describe the Christ the apostles knew and that they declared in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? If there's no way to do this in a way that's like, well, these are just the creative parts. These are the entertainment parts. Um, and this brings the other, I think, big complaint. Um, and I'll, I'll let Elijah let me know if there are other ones I'm missing. But right, the other big complaints are the strange creative licenses um, taken um, to make um, Jesus more, uh, we'll say, relatable. So Elijah hinted at one that um, was one of the early controversies, right? One of the early controversies is that evidently um, Jesus is depicted as um, working on and rehearsing the Sermon on the Mount, and he's very nervous, and he's worried about getting it wrong because it's evidently uh, depicted as his big, like, um, first sermon, first act of ministry, which obviously Matthew's gospel, this is the first sermon, right, Jesus gives in Matthew's gospel, um, and he comes to uh, Matthew for advice about how to outline and structure uh the sermon sorry i feel like you know jesus the one who was in the temple at 12 years old like it like, feels pretty bad and then and then you know what he after he comes back from from his time in the wilderness he comes to open the scroll and is he and he reads from isaiah and says these things are fulfilled today and now 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 oh now i'm nervous yeah <laughs> it i i i don't like it's one of those things where it's like nah it feels like someone on set should have been like hey are we really are we really doing this like yeah. this guy's going to improve Jesus's sermon uh okay okay um and one of the reasons um Matthew is involved in this and why he would be so interested in such a structured outline is because they decided to depict Matthew as a man with autism um uh, or somewhere on the spectrum um now it's a weird choice um it's a it's a weird choice to make um 
the guy, you know, they figure, well, he was a tax collector. He liked to count like all of the things that would cause you to go like this fits end up being really cringy and like, oh, yeah, those. Um, so uh, I don't ex- again, it's it's one of it's when they yeah, start, they, you know, it's not that he was an awful sinner. It's that he he had a mental development disorder. Right. And, and you know, like, no, the. The point of him being a tax collector was to signify that Jesus came for sinners, to save sinners. It wasn't like that's a huge assertion there. Correct. And and you know what's happening, obviously. Um, and I'm not and I'm not claiming is that be, this is and this again, I'm going to use this point to make a to make one larger point that I will come back to. Why do we why would there be a desire for one of the um, disciples to have this kind of an issue in their life the reason is because in our day in our time mental health is a humongous topic it's a thing people care about all the time and people want jesus to address mental health my Mm -hmm. mental health problem and the bible does not do that Mm -mm. it doesn't and and that doesn't make all mental health issues um, irrelevant. It certainly doesn't. There are people that are very much suffering from these um, these things. But what it means is the problem Christ fundamentally came to solve, sin, is not is not mental health. He's not a mental health counselor. And and so what you're seeing is as we depict Jesus, as we take creative license, it's because we have like it's telling the world about us it's telling the world more about us than it is about jesus right yeah um and so as i have um as i've kind of been looking um looking into you know and and talking to this i i found some comments online about why people really liked it and actually it's the comments of that people tell me why they really like it that make me actually feel like this is not a good thing you know um, that I, I i found that i was a little bit more neutral with it and then the more i heard from people and like their thoughts on it exact same thing yes and like i, I know i know we're going to touch on like probably the primary reason for mo- most reformed christians being against it yeah um but like if i'm being honest that's my reason it's I th- every, every time i heard from people I, I just got more and more sick of hearing of it yeah, I think, and I'll explain why the it's the positive comments that I found trivialing. So let me just read some that I found on YouTube. Uh, it's cool to me because it portrays the culture at the time and place in a way that reading the Bible and gleaning from Sunday school lessons and sermons just can't deliver. Here's another one. I found that the show helped me better connect emotionally with Jesus. I already know a fair amount of scripture and doctrine, so I'm not looking for accurate teaching. Um, so, right. So the two things, one, these, these comments have said, I am, I'm getting something the Bible sermons can't deliver. The means of grace that the Lord has given us. Right. The, the, what God has revealed can't deliver what the chosen is giving to me. And two, I'm looking to emotionally connect with Jesus and scriptures never really helped me do that. And so finally, I don't need a historically accurate uh, depiction. Um, I think the, yeah, I think the things about it that leave me concerned. I mean, I've heard lots of comments like, 
um, Jesus is just, um, they're really funny. You get to see them, their friendship and how that, what it would have been like to spend time again. What a thing that we like in our very casual culture, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's a high value for us. Could I hang with that person? Right. Um, or, or the, like that, this has just helped me like all of these comments circle around this idea that this has just helped me know Jesus in a way I didn't well, know before. Well, what's, what's funny to me is I, this is a little bunny trail, but no. I, I came across a video from an Orthodox Jew who went to a local Christian gathering. Um, I guess he was invited by a college group or something like that. And like, he went to the gathering and, you know, people shared their problems and there was this like, just uh overwhelming amount of charity like almost Mm. in a negative sense of just superficial just everyone agreeing with everyone and just it all being about comfort and then he's he he then talked about like his experience growing uh, growing up a orthodox jew and like he was like you know we go to gatherings we go to to the synagogue and it's not this like charitable conversation Yeah, yeah there's charity but the point of these group conversations is to sharpen one another until the point that our argument is refined to a type of uh, perfection, if you want to use that word. Sure. But, yeah. but like it, it's very much an iron sharpens iron, not just this, you know, chillax casual, just let's hang out and sing Kumbaya around the campfire. Right. Yeah. I, I think that an error we often make is thinking that we this and this is the glory of the gospel that the gospel works in all times and all places throughout history. The idea that I would be very anything like Athanasius. No, I wouldn't. And he probably right like that. All of these these human people and cultures from around like from around the world are so different, right? And and the way that we we cast this like they needed a a sense of humor is what the held the disciples together. That's a big part of relationships in modern Western culture. I don't know why we assume it was, you know, a major, a major thing then. Um, But again, this idea that this has helped me get to know Jesus in a new way. That's what scares me. Mm -hmm. That is, that's the fundamental thing that causes me to go, wait, you're, you know, Jesus in a way you didn't know him from, from the scripture, right? That is because this is, this is, again, this is with all of these things. It always comes back to this. If I make a criticism of the chosen and if someone listening to this, I may get this message from someone, or if you recite this or send this podcast to anyone, you know, um, what you will likely get are two things is they will say, Matt, don't make such a big deal of this. Elijah, you know, good has come out of this. You don't need to, you don't need to blow this out of proportion. And you're like, well, okay, well, I'm just not into it. I'm not going to do it. And it's not my thing. I don't, I think there are some dangers with it. Mm -hmm. The next response will be, how dare you? This is, this is helping. So, so it goes from this, let us have freedom to, you need to approve of this because this is the thing, Um, which tells me this show has discipleship and religious significance to the people who are involved in it. This is not an entertainment product. This is not a, I'll take it or leave it, right? This isn't- You know how so many churches, like these old traditional churches have like their own golden calves? Yeah. 
I'm just going to put it out there. Chosen's the golden calf of evangelicalism. It could, which is why we'll we'll come to images in a moment. Yeah. Um, oh, I mean, I wasn't even getting that. that I know. But, <laughs> but uh, behold, the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, uh, except on a TV screen. Um, but yeah, this is this is this is one of those things that we it's a tradition. And and again, right when Elijah's like, yeah, and a lot of churches are going to use parts of this in their worship. Right. We are beyond. We are now using images of christ for in our worship, worship services yeah and, and, and so, like you, you know i'm i'm not just saying that in a hypothetical sense no, no when i went home for christmas as much as i love my parents church they showed that during the christmas service sure. and you know i in good conscience couldn't stay in there i right. I, I said i needed to go to the restroom and i stepped out for a little bit yeah um and, like i didn't cause a scene but like that that's what they showed there and and that's and that's certainly the right thing to do. Not cause a scene um, if you happen to be in one of these places this weekend, because it again, Elijah brings that up not because it's so like be still my heart. I can't believe it. It's because it's so common, right? It's not mm. like that's that's what we're getting at. And so this has religious significance, right? People when they defend it, they're defending it as something religiously significant, and it's being introduced into worship. And so that. Um, that means I get to be mad and criticize it if I want to, <laughs> if I don't think it has the right religious significance. And so I think there are kind of two things going on with this attraction to chosen. And there are two points I want people to consider, no matter how pro or con you are. I think when we act like the chosen is this crazy thing, who could have seen this coming? Let's not pretend. Let's not act like that. I think basically the chosen is a Gnostic gospel. And mm -hmm. what I mean is, is not that it necessarily teaches the doctrine of Gnostics of, you know, this kind of duality, evilness of matter. I think it is like the Gnostic gospels. Those gospels were full of details. The canonical gospels left out because obviously there was such a hunger, just like there is now to know what was Jesus like when he was a kid? Well, um, they and they but they had different interests. And this is what's fascinating. The Gnostic Gospels choose different details to write about, whereas the chosen adds in details we care about. They want to hear about um, him as a child. They want to hear extra miracles. They want to hear about what it was like to be dead and then suddenly alive. Right. Those are not our interests. Right. We're like, what were his relationships like with the men and women around him? Right. Yep. What? What a 2023 thing to care about, <laughs> right? You know, next episode, they're going to have cell phones and they're texting each other. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that could be the, uh, we'll get there with the epistles, I guess, yeah. something like that, right? Yeah, that, I think that's really well summarized of a Gnostic gospel. Um, now, for those who are listening who may not know what Gnostic means, it's a Greek word that, that means knowledge. Um mm -hmm. Specifically, what it's talking about there is a secret knowledge in which you 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 are brought to a higher ascent of spiritualism mm -hmm. um, by the secret knowledge that only a select few can have. Um, right. So, you know, it's not a one in one comparison, but there is a sense of you need this added knowledge to understand the scriptures. And this, this is the added. This is an emotional Gnostic, right? This is the yeah. secret emotional 
knowledge you can have about Jesus, right? You don't just need to believe in him and know him as God has revealed him, but now you can like know it have been like emotionally had you been around him, right? This it's it just it it struck me a while back and I I just think it is is very striking. Secondarily, uh when Elijah called this the golden calf, this is uh in fact the reason that I have not um watched any of it. I believe there is and Elijah, um this is going to be great to talk to you about this. Um because you are, as you told me before, uh, figuring out exactly what you think about this. Mm-hmm. I think that there is a great power um, and danger of making any kind of image of God. Um, and so, obviously, this is what the Chosen is doing. Now, um, obviously, there are gradations of this kind of error, which maybe I'll get into. Um, but fundamentally this is something for all of you who are like hey i love when pastor michael and matt talk about the reform faith this is one of the bullets you may someday have to bite if you really want to come with us all the way mm-hmm. um and it's a pretty it is one of the things that set the reformers and their confessions um and those after them apart from uh other protestants is that uh not only did we forbid the worship of images um again if you're reintroducing images into your worship uh we have a you might just have a general problem um we forbid the making of all images of god including christ and that is really a distinctively reformed understanding of the second commandment to not make an image of god um and so i believe that on a fundamental level obviously then the chosen for me uh, is out because I do. Um, I am a no exceptions, uh, Westminster of faith, um, kind of guy. Uh, and so I think when we we get about th- these these controversies, um, for me, you know, I, I it was never something I really considered. But I do just think that there is such a there's such a power, right? When the Bible forbids making images of God, um. One of the things we see, right, the the example that Elijah uses with the golden calf, we should say Aaron is actually saying, I am making an image of Yahweh who takes you out of Egypt, mm-hmm. right? He is not saying, let's start a, um, right, a, um, a golden calf cult, right? He's trying to, you know, he's trying to get these people who are getting mad, they're not following moses anymore he's trying to get them back on track and he thinks he can do it with um with the uh the golden calf and so of course the second commandment forbids openly idolatrous practices but i think it becomes easy for us to assume we would never struggle with this but what the commandment forbids is imagining a god that we would like Mm -hmm. right imagining a god that is like us or something lower and it's these mental images that lead us to produce all these images of God. And what's what's the problem with an imagined God? The answer, of course, is that God can't save you because he's not real, right? The Jesus that we've imagined or the Jesus of creative license cannot save you. Um, now, Elijah, um, you are still working through images 
thinking through how to think through your opinion on images of Jesus. What do you what do you think the difficulty of the the issue is? I want to let people because, again, I'm introducing something that a lot of people don't know a lot about and I'm not going to get we have our we have a base of people who are going to cheer me on and agree with me, but yeah. <laughs> there are going to be other people who don't. So tell us, what are you working through just as you think through the issue yourself? Yeah, uh, there, I, I need to read a couple of papers on this. Um, I'm I'm going to probably butcher which stance is which, but one one view would be like the Nestorian view. Mm, yeah. Um, and then the other one would be would, they, would it be the monophysite view. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Nestorian is that it separates the two natures of Christ. Um, and then the monophysite would be that it confuses the two natures of yes. Christ. So this um, was so at, um, you know, so late in the debates of the church, um, you can um, at Chalcedon, especially you can find in 451, a statement was made to help um, emphasize Christ's full humanity and full divinity, right? That God, only God can save us, but a man had to, like a man had to die, right? That, that, and so therefore Jesus needed a full human nature, a full divine nature. They couldn't be separated, right? This is where we get our statement about two natures in one person. That's what, mm-hmm. that's what Elijah is getting at. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and with that, there, there are a couple papers that have been written um, where there's one stance that says, you know, the view that makes images of Christ is, um, I think that's they're saying that's a Nestorian view mm-hmm. where they're separating the divine nature from right. or the human nature from the divine nature. Now, on the opposing view, there's one that with the monophysites are not the other view that's okay with images would say that the reformed view is confusing the natures to say that you know any image is going to be basically they're saying that any image is going to have that infused divinity sure. thoughts to it. So yeah. I, I want to read those. There, there's papers about that. And I want to read those papers um, to kind of work out why one's a logical conclusion, the other's a logical conclusion. Mm. Yeah. With that being said, I mean, for the time being, I am rather uncomfortable with images of Christ. Sure. So, so, you know, I, my general thought has been, okay, if you have an image of Christ in your house, do not sit down and pray in front of it. Just, mm. just let it be. Um, yeah. And definitely no images of Christ in the sanctuary like that, right. that I'm so uncomfortable with that. So that's kind of where I'm at, where I have some comfortability with it. But my general thought is let's, let's stay away from images of Christ. Right. So if, if people are listening and they want to hear a con to me, a specific, like they can find um, John frame, who is known for revising a number of things in the reformed faith um, certainly uh, differed and was a very uh, uh, with this, this what we'll call the traditional reformed understanding of the second commandment. Of course he opposed um, basically all Protestants are agreed. We don't pray to images. Um, now some use them in religious settings in some ways. Right. Um, but the, the reformed are basically um, agreed that we don't use them for religious things there. The debate comes down to issues like, can it ever be done for teaching? Or obviously in um, the chosen's case, we'd be saying it's for entertainment, right? Or something Mm -hmm. like this. Right. Um, Now I want to say, and all, and all the reformed who hold my view say we should understand 
there is a hierarchy of importance in under how we think about this, right? Mm-hmm. You don't need to go to your aunt's house who has a story Bible with a, a depiction of Jesus in it and lose your mind, right? Um, it's That's not nearly as serious as at a Roman Catholic church where we genuflect to the bread and wine, where we literally bow down, where we literally do acts of worship to images, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, there is a difference. Um, now, I am not persuaded by any of the cons views. I just think that what becomes inescapable is um, th- just like the chosen, the chosen and all images of Jesus tell us more about who we are than who Jesus is, right? It's like the example I always give people. It's like when one of my three-year-olds or four-year-old kids draws their family. doesn't resemble the family at all. It tells you, if anything, right, like, you know, these hilarious photos where, like, they draw, there's, like, five members of the family, and they draw four of them, right? There's, like, wait, why did you leave one or, of them out? Or it's or, just a, it's just a circle, and that's the yeah, head and the yeah. body, and the, these little sticks are coming out of it. Exactly. You, you don't learn, like, an outsider doesn't learn anything about it. And so I just find it so interesting, even when we, even living in our time, there's so much controversy people have about what Jesus looks like, right? Think yeah. of all the people. And even um, Dallas Jenkins talked about why they cast the man they did to play him. Because people are upset with the idea of a Western blue-eyed Jesus. Mm-hmm. So people create Jesus with black skin. Um, now it's like we need to find a historically accurate of what a Middle Eastern man would have looked like. But we don't ask at any point, why doesn't the Bible ever give us a physical description of hmm. Jesus? Um, it, it, because what, what I want is I want a person with whatever you look like, whoever you are listening, what Jesus shares with you is your humanity, not what you look like. Yeah. Right. Jesus didn't look like me as far as I know, but, but I, but I don't know. And so I think yeah. that um now i sorry if i'm interrupting go ahead no no go ahead well as we're on this conversation of the second commandment violations i would say that the chosen is a straight-up violation of it Hmm. um because it it, it, i would say it is an um it is portraying an image of christ that is other than what scripture portrays Hmm. so then like that this is why i was talking about with the presuppositions of then we then take that and we bring that into our worship services mm. and, and we we're like, oh, here's a relatable Jesus. We bring that into our time of reading scripture. Oh, here's a relatable Jesus. So then there is an image of a falsified Christ in our mind and the reading of scripture and in the worship of, of God. Yeah. Now, I agree because what we have fundamentally done with the chosen and with any of these things is we've become attached to a depiction of Jesus, some kind of depiction. And again, it's it's not just the chosen. We can do this in all kinds of different ways, right? Um, even certain understandings of a, of a book called Gentle and Lowly might do that to us. Or, um, right, if we want Jesus to just be Athanasius, right? Like if we have an, if there's an angle we want, right? But the danger, especially with images, is that we need to become attached to the Jesus taught in the New Testament, not a depiction of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is and this is actually 
my response to this idea that we can use images of Jesus for education. Why does the New Testament give us audible education? Like it teaches us through words and and teaching, and it does not teach through imagery. And even when the Bible does use imagery, it's very careful. Um, and so I just think that um, that these kinds of things are are kind of the problem. I also think as um, I'll just give my stance on the kind of thing you brought up earlier, Elijah, uh, the idea of the kind of Nestorian or Eutychian um, ideas of Jesus. My what I think the reformed would say, at least how I would put it, is we can only depict his humanity. Right. So can we ever then depict his person? Like, can we ever actually depict his person if we can only depict humanity? Um, I don't know. I I, I don't think that is. um, I think. I think that there are implications for those things. This is for those people like Elijah thinking this through. I think those things do have right. There are implications. I would say in for me, those don't seem strong enough to be a deciding answer mm-hmm. does that make sense so yeah and and you know you you see that in in even the icons of of saints where it's like you see divinized versions of them and that's why they always have like these weird fingers and right like, and eyes always a little bit weird um and there's even um not encouraging people to look this up but an image of christ where half of his face is quote-unquote humanity aspect and then the other half is a divine divinized and sure so it's like you see that in some of the art of of the church in the past yeah and so i think the chosen is useful for those coming into the reformed faith as a test case to think through like image the the images uh this issue um and again the the extent at which um most people believe the way the reformed apply the second commandment is too rigorous if anything so it's not that there is like people totally deny this right even elijah saying hey i'm thinking this through obviously he agrees with me in an incredibly large part the only question at the end of the day for people is how how rigorous is this now i think the other thing about the chosen um, before I actually am going to make an under, I'm going to get, I'm going to end on a very winsome point. I, I think as we've talked about this, as we think about the value of teaching with images, right? The why people had a flannel graph when you were a kid to try and teach you. I actually think the chosen is different than that. The chosen is bingeable Jesus. The chosen, though, again, it's being brought into churches, is an entertainment product. That's not such a um, that's not such a like commendable goal, right? This is a this is a trivializing of 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 the gospel narratives. Like if if the release of the Chosen's is like, oh man, do I have the you know? Right now, my wife and I are watching the super fan episodes of The Office where they've added seven minutes or six minutes to everything, and we watch it when we have time. I didn't know that existed. If you have uh, three bucks, you can uh, pay Peacock and you can get access to them. Um, so there's my there's my unpaid for ad. But right. But this is putting the. 
the the story of Christ on the same level as like, ah, I wonder if this is good. Let's turn it on. Oh, I forgot to turn it off. And we watched three episodes, right? I just think that there is, I just, I, I wonder about this idea, this medium, right? What does this medium do to us? What does this medium, even just the medium do um, to the way we think about Christ? Yeah, so, everything everything communicates something. Right. I mean, you, you know, that was even mentioned on last week's episode of like, um, I forget who was on the show, but he was talking about the buildings that they chose out for education. Right. Like it was a very intentional design. Um, and it's like, yeah, is it trivializing Christ? Is it trivializing the gospel? Um, there's, you know, there's something sacred about the word of God. There's power to it. And are we just, are we narrowing that down to something trivialized? Yeah. So Elijah, are, are we the bad guys? Because in 2022, right before Easter, um, the chosen used a marketing campaign where they defaced their billboards. They purposely defaced their billboards across the uh, country with uh, statements like the chosen is boring or the chosen sucks. Uh, the chosen is not good um, with a Satan character trying to persuade people to not watch the show. Are we are we on the side of the bad guys? Now? <laughs> Those ads were just such bad taste. Yeah. Um, so the- um, I mean, you know. I'm going to say no, but I don't think most of 21st century evangelical America is going to agree with us on that. <laughs> so so it's it's us, uh, this depiction of Satan um, versus the left behind guy's son, the Mormons <laughs> and a group of evangelicals. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, I think it's wild. And again, I just think it is a sign of like they're putting this in the terms of spiritual warfare. I, yeah. I just like there's just their whole pitch is that at the end of the day. And it's like, I wonder if they really thought about it that way. Like, oh, if there was a spiritual warfare aspect or if they were just trying to be funny. But if that's the case and it's like, it go, again, it all goes back to what you're saying about the entertainment thoughts of it's just trivializing these scriptural matters. Right. And I think that, though. This one might, this is for both you. If you are a person that's been like, dude, I've been enjoying um, the chosen or you're a reform person trying to talk about this, right? Like, again, I think that, um, you know, one of the worst things a reform person can be is just a straight kill joy. Like whenever they're in the room with someone or like pointing this out, right? Um, that's the level of maturity my six-year-old daughter has about images of Jesus. She comes to me and says, dad, can you believe it? Right. But we shouldn't do that as, uh, hopefully more mature, uh, believers. Um, and I, and I fail with that too, but, but I think what we should, we should say is we should reflect on the fact that it's actually very understandable. People desire pictures of Jesus Mm -hmm. because I do think on a fundamental level, Christians do want to see Jesus. And the problem then with the thing like the chosen, isn't that the chosen is, um, is giving us an image of Jesus and we need it because we won't get it. No, it's replacing the truth that we will Right, first John three, two says, 
we know when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Right? We do not want to, uh, the the desire, the hunger we have, the taste we have to desire to see Jesus, because we know if we see him, we'll be like him. We don't want to feed that with an alternative. We don't want to give, um, we don't want to try and satiate that hunger with images here, with entertainment. Right now, we live in the time where faith comes by hearing. We know Jesus by his word and by his spirit. And we should seek to build our lives and develop things in a way so that we will desire to see him, right? When we Mm. get to see him, for we will be like him. Well, Elijah... Thank you for coming here, sitting in the the other co-host chair with me. Thanks for having me. We're glad you were here. Elijah and I are going to quick go watch a uh, a Mark Driscoll rant or two uh, before we before we finish off here. And then I will probably go and um, uh, watch some of the Office Superfan episodes. You don't need to watch The Chosen or the Office Superfan episodes. You can become a patron supporter of the restless podcast don't don't put your three dollars towards whatever the streaming service is for the office put that towards becoming a patron that's right um and also subscribe to our youtube channel i think we're like 20 subscribers away before we will start doing our own watch parties of the tgc good faith debates so anyways everybody i hope this was helpful i hope you enjoyed it and we will catch y'all later